And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the waves and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm glad everyone is here. Uh, We need God's word all the time, but uh, of course, especially in a time like this, uh, we need to hear what God has to say to us. So let's go to him in prayer. Father, we pray that you would open your word to us, not merely that we would hear what is written, but that you would write it on our hearts. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know how you respond to fear. Uh, when I'm anxious, when I'm concerned about something, one of the most common things that happens is I have, uh, I'll have a dream that's uh, when I'm scared about something. And there have been a few of these different kind of recurring dreams in my lifetime. And uh, one that came, has probably come up the most, it came up when I was in high school, it came up when I was in college, it came up again when I was in seminary from time to time is I would, I, would, I would realize that we were starting final exams and that I was enrolled in a class that I had never been to. And uh, I think, <laughs> I'm told other people have had this dream as well. Maybe this is you. I don't know, but, and it was always something like a language class, the kind of thing you could never catch up on, the thing that was absolutely hopeless for you to have any sort of recoverable grade in. And, uh, and that, was, that, was, that was always my like, anxiety response. It, it still comes up now. When I'm anxious about something, I'll have weird dreams or I'm scared about something. Uh, but w- right now, we're all anxious to some degree or another. Uh, it's hard not to be anxious in the midst of a pandemic. And the particulars, of course, will be different for you and me, uh, for each of us. Uh, the different things that we're concerned about may be quite different. Uh, but the consistent note that I hear as I talk to people, that I feel <laughs> that uh, every day is uh, at least a steady drumbeat of anxiety. And the, the interesting thing is one of the most consistent commandments in the Bible, one of the most consistent things the Bible says is do not fear. Now, that doesn't mean if you, ha- if you feel any fear, that you are wrong. What it means is do not be controlled by the fear. And this is a story of those who start out in fear and are moving towards faith. And it's helpful for for us to see what that progression looks like. So think about how this story begins. It, It starts in verse 35. Jesus and his disciples are in a boat. Now, if you've, been read, if you've been following along with us, you may remember back in verse 2 of this chapter, Jesus was teaching from a boat. He was already out on the water 
there's, uh, there's hills, hills that go up around the Sea of Galilee, so people could be gathered around, and he was sitting in the boat teaching. And so it seems that what they, what they did when Jesus was finished was they just went and started crossing the Sea of Galilee. So rather than landing there in the crowd, they decided to go across. And I, I assume everybody thought this was going to be a quiet, peaceful evening out on the water, and, uh, and a storm kicks up. Now, remember, Jesus' disciples, many of them were fishermen, had been fishermen probably for generations on the Sea of Galilee. They knew this body of water. They had, they had been out on it every day. And it is true that the Sea of Galilee, in fact, is known for having storms that kind of kick up uh, unexpectedly. See, the, the lake that is the Sea of Galilee, is below sea level. So, and it's obviously a pretty warm place anyway. And so it is really warm around the Sea of Galilee. But there are mountains nearby. And so with the, when cold air comes down out of those mountains and hits the warm air, it sometimes kicks up uh, quickly developing you know, severe storms. Uh, so that's not necessarily unusual. But there's all these superlatives in verse 37 that it is this great storm. It is a kind of storm that they had never really seen. They had never really experienced or certainly would not have, they would have seen it coming and stayed out off the water. And so they are out of their depth very quickly. The water is pouring into the boat. Suddenly everything is out of control and they're scared. And they run to Jesus. Don't you care about us? Now, I don't know how, how you're concerned about you, you know, what's going on in your life and your circumstances right now, but I will say that panic sets in pretty quickly for a lot of us. And, it, and panic really starts with our own self-confidence, doesn't it? Have you noticed this? This is where it begins. It begins when we think we've got our life figured out. We know what we're doing, we've got our finances, maybe our career, we've got all these things sort of lined up. Uh, maybe you're in school, right, and you think, I, I know what I'm doing here, uh, I've got this all sort of squared away, I'm moving along, progressing, things seem like we are, we have them under control, we are competent. Because if you don't feel that way, you're already in a self-protective posture. If, if, you're, if you don't feel that way, then when then you're already in living like with shrewdness, thinking I've got to protect what's mine. And so when something changes, you're already in a posture to deal with it. And so, look, it actually is good, right, to some extent that we have a sense of competence navigating the world day to day. You actually do need some sense of your own competence uh, to, to live well. But that is a narrow path along the cliff. And there really is a razor-thin margin between having a kind of accurate understanding of our own competence and being overconfident and thinking we really can't handle whatever comes our way. So these sailors think they've got it figured out. They know what they're doing. They've been out on this water so many times. And then circumstances change. And in our own lives, that could be because of the scope of the change. Maybe things changed so quickly that we didn't realize it. Maybe there were other factors we hadn't really ever thought of 
that come into play. But this is when panic starts to set in. And it has a grip on us when we realize that it threatens something important in our life. In this case, it is, of course, threatening their very lives. But when it threatens our health, when it threatens our livelihood, it, most of all, when it threatens our sense that we can do well in this world, that we can navigate it well, we panic. And you know you're panicking when you respond in anger. I mean, that's what's, that's what's behind the, this question, that they, they, this accusation to Jesus, that he doesn't care. Is they are panicking. And they don't know what else to do, so it comes out as an accusation. And this is what we all do, is we get angry because we'd rather be angry than vulnerable. We'd rather seek to blame others than to think about our own overinflated sense of competence. I mean, this is going on in a course in a pandemic, isn't it? I mean, you know this. This is uh, the experts have been warning for years that globalization held lots of risks with it. That the, the uncontrollable spread of disease was one of them. But we thought, well, we can handle it. We can deal with this. I mean, you know, we even as we may critique or agree with various government officials, right? Everybody is struggling through this sense that we thought we were prepared. We thought we knew what we were doing. And we don't, as much as we thought we did. And so when circumstances changed, when the scope of this problem began to balloon, when it spread so quickly, so easily, so often undetected, we didn't know what to do. And, of course, it threatens those core issues, right? Our life, our health, and increasingly our livelihoods. And maybe it's not, maybe the pandemic isn't even the biggest fear in your life right now. And maybe there are other things going on in your life that you're fearful of. Things you thought you had under control, and now they're not. Well, you're in the same boat with the disciples. You and I. But notice this. Then they, they begin to do something about it by searching for relief. They want Jesus to do something. We all search for relief. Of course we do, right? It's not wrong that they want, <laughs> that they want to be saved from the storm, but they want to save their lives. I mean, of course they do. That's a good thing, right? They, they should want that. And Jesus, you know, miraculously wakes up and just says two words. It's just two words in the Greek. And he tells the wind and he tells the waves to stop, to be still. There's no, there's no magic the way that the pagan world around Jesus and the disciples would have thought. They would have expected some sort of incantation to control the elements even the Jewish uh, world around them that they were part of 
would have expected a prayer of deference to God. Instead, Jesus simply speaks a command, and it all stops. And there is a lot more that's going on here than meets the eye. To begin with, in the ancient world, and especially in the ancient Near East, and even in the, throughout the Bible, the sea is kind of a picture of chaotic forces. Uh, when, if you think back to the Genesis account, the flood, a flood and a storm is as if the waters are no longer separated, right? It's as if creation is sort of working backwards, going back to disorder. Even if you go to the very end of the Bible, if you go to Revelation 21, the very last scene in the book of Revelation, the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, we're told, and there was no more sea. It's not because God doesn't like the beach. It's not because God is scared of water like he's a cat or something. This isn't, it's none of that, right? It's an image of chaos, right? So to say that there is no sea is to say that the, for, the chaotic forces at work in the world have been done away with. And there's no reason to fear. And it gets even more specific than that. Because who is the one who speaks just a word that separates the water from the sky? In Genesis 1. It's God. In fact, it's routine in the Old Testament that, to talk about how God has power over nature, and in particular, the wind and the waves feature prominently. Now, I've got a huge long list here in my notes that I could, I could read off, but let me give you a few of these lines uh, that speak to this. So, in Psalm 65, verse 7, we're told that God stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. In Psalm 89, 9, he says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And what these disciples, as, of course, good Jewish young men, knowing their Old Testament, when they saw Jesus simply say to the waves, be still, they began to realize that something more amazing than they ever suspected was going on. You see, they started to realize that Jesus was doing the sorts of things that only God could do. That he was the creator who had ruled over the world. And he was in their boat. It's, it's funny because this may seem antiquated, right? This sounds in some ways like it's connected to kind of outdated religions, right, that are focused on the world. But this is not about saying that God is in the, the waves of the sea. This is about saying he has control over them. And if you've ever been out on the water and gotten sick, you know it's out of your control. So the only the two times I've ever gotten seasick when I, were when I was in the Navy, and we went through a nor'easter. On both occasions, we were going through a nor'easter. I'm on these huge naval ships, and they're still getting tossed around. And these things are enormous. And watching the bow get buried in a wave, and you think, uh-oh. We are not in control of this situation. And... 
look, in Charleston, we should know this. Who's going who's gonna to control a hurricane? Who's going to stop a hurricane from coming? Nobody. So as antiquated as some of this language seems, it should also be obvious that even in our technological age, we cannot control this kind of thing. And so the claim that God is this kind of God is a claim of immense power, but more than that, to say that he is in the boat with them is to stare a profound mystery in the face. They were staring into the mystery of the incarnation. They were staring into the mystery of the Trinity itself. How is it that God is here in some way? And yet he's praying to the Father. You know, how, is this, how does this work out? They're, they're, they're realizing there is so much more at work than they know. And this is the beginning of moving towards faith is as we look for relief, we start to realize that there is something much more profound that we need. Again, this is not to say that we don't need relief from our anxieties. We don't need relief from the circumstances in which we're in. And listen, whenever Jesus runs across the most significant issues like life and health, Jesus responds with compassion. It isn't that God doesn't care about those things. No, 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 no. And yet, and yet, there is something more. If you want to move out of fear, you will need more than simply a change in circumstances. It's going to take more than just a little more money in your bank account. It's going to take more than a new job. It's going to take more than whatever situation in your, is going on in your family, calming down. It's going to take more than that. You will need something more. You will need God in the boat with you. And I know what this is like. I mean, I think every week since this pandemic, I've had at least one day where I'm totally discouraged. I just think like, man, I don't know how much more we can take this as a family trying to school, the, you know, manage the kids' school while we're both working and doing all those other things. I mean, every week it seems like there's at least one day where I'm just down in the dumps about it. What I need, what you need, is something more than just relief. We need a different perspective. And listen, this will be important because even when our circumstances change, there will still be problems. Even now there are reports that there are spikes in divorce rates in China as they're starting to experience some relief because the circumstance changed but the problems didn't in their hearts. We know that there's already reports within the U.S. of rising rates of major depression and anxiety The circumstances will change one day, but more is needed. And listen, those are all complex factors, and I don't mean to say that simply <laughs> that there isn't mental health issues involved in the midst of all these. I'm not saying that there aren't relational patterns that need to be dealt with. Nothing like that. But we need to get rid of our overconfidence. We need to stop buying in 
to the narrative of our own autonomy and control over what goes on in our lives. Instead, we need to see that God is in the boat. And this is the movement towards faith. Notice the disciples are not there. They're still piecing this together, and, but Jesus is calling them forward, right? Do you still have no faith? They will. Not everybody but Judas, I guess. They will. They will have faith. But here it begins with fear. Notice this. They were afraid of the storm, but now they're really afraid. This is a fascinating thing. There's an idea that runs throughout the whole Bible, a, a particular notion of the fear of the Lord. And it's, con- it's contrasted with other sorts of fear. We're told, like I said earlier, do not fear often. But there is a kind of fear of the Lord that's important to have. This is, seen re- this is illustrated really well in Exodus 20. So, Moses goes, Moses is at the mountain. They're at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is shaking. It's a rumbling. The thunder of God's voice is shaking this mountain. It's covered in smoke and flame and unapproachable light. And I mean, it is a mysterious sight. The people don't want to go anywhere near it. Moses goes up into the cloud and he receives the Ten Commandments. And he comes down. And this is what he says in Exodus 20, verse 20. He says, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. Did you catch that? He says, do not fear, so that you will fear. And he's drawing, he's drawing a contrast, right, between two different types of fear. One is a fear just for myself and the consequences on me. That's the fear of the quaking and the, and the thunder and the fire and the fear that I'm not going to survive this thing. Instead, what Moses is saying is, have a fear that's focused on the person you're encountering. So there is a fear, in other words, that is just focused on me and a fear that is focused on God and his character. It is a fear, in other words, not so much of consequences, that would be the bad kind of fear, but a fear that is rooted in a profound awe of the one that you're encountering. This is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. I'm reminded of that the image in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, when the kids hear about the lion, Aslan, right? And they ask if he's safe. He's a lion, after all. And the answer is, of course he's not safe. Who said anything about him being safe? But he's good. He's the king. That's the kind of fear that we're talking about. And you see what That's the kind of fear that leads to faith. The realization that God is much bigger than me and my plans. That what God has planned for me, what God has planned for you, what God has planned for us as a church, is something much more significant 
than our petty dreams. Something much bigger. That this is his story, in fact, that we're caught up into. Not the story of my success and how I became really influential and really important. This is a story of how God loved us and sent a son for us and set the world right. You see, Jesus is not challenging them to have a mindless faith. He's not saying, look, ignore the circumstances that are around you. No, the wind and the waves are still real. If he doesn't do something about it, that boat is going to sink and they're going to drown. This is, not a challenge, this is not challenging us to have a mindless faith. Rather, it's challenging us to see a fuller reality than we had seen. To see that there is more at work than what our fears draw our mind to. No, God is in the boat. And this is really what it means to mature into faith or mature in your faith is yes, to see the wind and the waves and to recognize them for what they are and to recognize and be honest about all the different fears that we have, all the anxieties we have, the things that are going on in our lives that threaten us. But it is also to take stock of a greater reality as well, that this is not out of God's control, that God has not forgotten us, that he is here, that he is in the boat with us. You see, biblical maturity is about understanding more and more that we are in God's story, that we are caught up in the great narrative of his love for the world. That God is not just an incidental character in my story, but in fact, if anything, I'm the supporting character in his. And this whole story then tells us in miniature, what Jesus is really about. Because the story of Jesus is not simply that he came and he rode in a boat across a lake. And things went well. But it does picture, in a, in a small way, what Jesus' whole life was about, right? Because he entered into the storm of life. He entered into the mess that is what we've made of his world. This is about God taking on flesh, taking on suffering, confronting evil. In fact, being confronted by evil, entering into the storm of, and letting the religious leaders of his day, the political leaders of his day, do their worst to him. Letting one of the greatest empires in the world has ever known crush him by entering into that storm but swallowing it up and breaking it open. God has proved that even the worst evils in this world are not out of his control. And he will undo even death itself. You see, when I say God is in the boat, that's not a trite thing to say. Because we're not just talking about some guy's on a lake 2,000 years ago, we are talking about you and I. Because this is what Jesus has done. Is he has entered in. He has taken on the worst that the world had. 
And he's defeated it. And he is bringing you through it. And this is what it means then to move from fear to faith, is to begin to understand that this is not our story, but this is God's. This is God's story. And Jesus will not let us down. I don't know what storms are going to come into your life and mine. I don't know how we're going to get through this pandemic and what all the cost will be. But Jesus has not forgotten. Because Jesus has weathered the very worst of this world. And he will bring you through it. And he will teach us to sing along with the psalmist that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are with us, that you have sent your Son to enter in to deal with the very worst that the world had to offer. And so we are not left alone. That through the storms of life, through all the things that we fear, all the anxieties we try to manage, that we can always go to you knowing that they are not out of your control and that you will bring us through. Perhaps our lives won't look exactly like we thought they would. Perhaps even the difficulties that we endure will mark us, will change the way that we see ourselves and others. But most of all, Lord, we pray that you would change the way that we see ourselves and others through the lens of the good news of Jesus. That he is in the boat with us, and he will pilot us through. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.